0: is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie
1: fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past
0: to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is Fox Office 30.
2: 30.
1: to Box Office 30's review of Father of the Bride. I am Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing,
0: sir? I'm good. I lost you for a second. I'm trying to find which web browser you're in that I can see you physically. (laughs) (laughs) I have the problem of too many tabs and too many web browsers open. I definitely (laughs) have
1: way too many tabs open at the moment, too, although maybe not as bad as usual but there's definitely like at least a good dozen or so right
0: now oh way more than a dozen
1: The behind the scenes of of making a a successful or or in my brain successful podcast show
0: we're (laughs) ruining the magic for them right now yeah (laughs) how you doing Uh, what's going on with you this week Uh, i'm good i am just embracing the cold of the tri-state i was in the city today and it was it was cold as the dickens this morning um, (laughs) you know it's uh it's weird because the the city was getting busier and all of a sudden since like the end of december it's empty again yeah (laughs) it's a ghost town again like okay it's weird
1: yeah well it's been like a weird work schedule for me uh which i've mentioned to you but uh essentially i was going to be back to work as early as january 3rd and then our the university decided that it had to go fully remote uh, through January. So I've been working remotely this entire time, which has been like, it's nice because it's like few saving that commute every day and all this sort of thing. But like, it's, it's a very weird transition to be like five days a week in the office since like May, you know, bang, 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 like constantly there. And then, boom, a whole month of just not there. So it's been pretty jarring. So I don't know um, what's on the horizon here, but hopefully we're getting past this Omicron thing. And, um, you know, we'll we'll get to the other version of normal.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Whatever that is. Exactly. Whatever that is. So, yeah. So we watched Father of the Bride. And one of the things that I discovered is that it's not streaming anywhere. <laughs> and I said this to you via text message and I was like, "Ugh, I got to pay to rent the movie. Now well, on it's, it's such
1: a funny thing because I think we've like touched on this slightly before on some of the times that we've gone to do these um, reviews. But the funny part to me is that we've had some movies like total recall and others that, That clearly Netflix or whoever picked it up because they're like, oh, 30th anniversary. People are going to want to watch this. It's like a milestone sort of thing. And then other movies, they're like nowhere. Nowhere. And and like the funniest part about the same thing. I know you ended up renting it on, I guess, what was it? Amazon? iTunes. iTunes. Um, For me, when, when Michael reached out to ask me, like, where is this streaming? I was like, oh, well, it's on Disney+. Plus." In the UK. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually watched this on Disney Plus in the UK. <laughs> How did you do that?
0: You you change your country codes? So I they-
1: did, yes, yes. <laughs> so so for those of you out there who, who are aware of this or who aren't aware of this, um, if you use a VPN service, uh like like I use NordVPN. Uh, which is, by the way, it's making me like itchy to try and see if we can get them as like a sponsor for the show, because I think it'd be a good ongoing sponsor. Um, but uh, there's a great trick, which is that if some other country like Canada or the UK, etc., has some of the content that we don't currently have and vice versa, for those of you who are listening out there in uh, other countries and wanting to you know, watch uh, US region locked media, um, if you have a VPN service, you can um, hop countries basically by just switching where your IP address is at. And it works pretty darn well. Um, so what I ended up doing because I was trying to get it through a couple different sources and they weren't working. Uh, and I didn't really feel like doing the rental thing for this particular one. Um, I got on my iPhone, switched my VPN over to London, um, hopped on Disney and sure enough, there it was. And then I, um, did a, what's the Apple stream thing to the TV? What do they call that? Airplay? Airplay. I did the Airplay to uh, our TV and we, we just watched it on the big screen TV via my phone. So um, if any of you are out there trying to watch Father of the Bride, if you're listening along to this, that's certainly one way to do it. I also have discovered in doing all my research per for tonight's show, apparently some random account has the entire movie... In full on YouTube, um, in like 480p. <laughs> like, of course, it does. and I don't know how they're getting away with that. Like how you know, because this is a touchstone film, which puts it under Disney's you know yeah. lawyers. How they haven't like filed a strike against that and had had it taken down. And the weird thing is, if you look it up, it's actually the movie one and a half times over. So it's like the whole movie plays. And then it starts again for half the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's really weird. That's Um, funny. Yeah. So apparently we could have watched it that way too, although I don't know that that would have been the best quality version of it. But yeah, again, it's like it goes into like the sauce of how does this show get made? There's a lot of movies that you and I have run across that are like bizarrely, you know, mainstream movies that are not easily found. Yeah. And it was really blowing my mind with this one in particular because this is kind of like you know, just like a timeless, like, comedy movie, you know? So
0: so I, when I was doing some research, I found out that it comes to Hulu every June for Father's Day.
1: Okay, I can see. I, <laughs> I was waiting for the reasoning behind that, and I, could, I guess I could see that. I mean, we've had a few like that. It's like, you know, when we were talking with Adam, like with Hook, like Hook was coming, like, January something, first or something to Netflix or something or other. And it's like... Yeah, but it's, like, missing its anniversary, you know? So, I don't know. So, I mean, I guess this will roll back around uh, in June. I mean, who knows the complexities of licensing and and where these things end up. Obviously, they have some kind of deal that they're on Disney Plus in the UK right now. Um, And like I said, Touchstone Film, which puts it under Disney, you know? So, um, it it would seem reasonable that it could be playing on Disney in America, too. So, I don't really
0: know what would prevent that. This is a total digress of of what we do here. But like, remember back in the day when we used to take all of our DVDs and digitize them. Sure. yeah, And, yeah. and everyone was like, why are you digitizing all your DVDs? And I'm like, <laughs> I said, because I guarantee you, someday (laughs) there's going to be a a, I didn't call it streaming but like you're not going to be able to find these movies and then once the streaming platforms all came out I'm like this is the problem with all the streamers okay it's on Netflix for a couple months then it's gone then it comes back somewhere else and I'm like if I've got it on my hard drive in the server in my house I've got it forever and I just got to maintain the server and that's kind of my nerdy thing so that's why I've got 3,000 movies on my server on demand <laughs> but there. not father but not father of the, but bird, father of
2: the <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so this is quite the ensemble cast and I feel that they all sort of worked pretty well off each other in, in many cases some I had a funny thought in the fact that like I envisioned them from my memory as a child having much bigger roles than they ended up having in the movie proper when we watched it. Um, But you did the notes and
1: I'll (laughs) let you take
0: it away from here. Sure.
1: So, you know, I I actually went light on the notes for once. And I think it's a little bit, you and I had kind of chatted about it that like with a movie like this, like these kind of like just more loose comedy movies, it's a little hard to like bullet by bullet, you know, like all the plot points. And to be honest with you, nine pages of hook that we had. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, but I mean like, to be honest with you, end of the day, this is actually a really simple movie. A very simple movie. You know what I mean? Like the funny part is, is like, Having gone back and rewatched it, I was like, you know, it's kind of like perfectly tied up with a little bow. It's like yeah. it's, it's really pretty quick and, um, you know, despite it's got, it's kind of, a you know, like hour 40-ish, I think, yeah. one time. But it, it goes it, by it very quick. quick. Yeah, yeah it, it's not like overly convoluted. Uh, but at the same time, it also doesn't, in my mind, drop the ball on either the characters or the story it's trying to tell. It kind of just does its thing. Yeah. We um, did end up taking notes just so we could kind of like walk through the plot I, for those who aren't going to try and track down the UK Disney plus
0: version. <laughs> they do. They do play it very safe in this movie. And I can't remember, was this Nancy Meyer's first writing credit or was no, it? No, no. So, so
1: uh, as that that's as good a part to start as any, because the funny part was I knew this, was a Nancy Myers film when I was chatting about um, you know, director, writers, etc., last week. But um no, it's not her first, um, and certainly not her last. Um, but what was kind of funny is I first of all didn't realize that her and Charles Shire, who's the director, were actually married. They oh. are they are a couple at the point that this movie is um uh, is produced uh they got married in 1980 and ended up unfortunately divorcing in 99 but um they basically you know created this together off of obviously the pre-existing movie and 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 uh book um and uh you know I I think I was kind of like forgetting in my head when I was talking about her last time she's written a lot of movies and a lot oh. of movies like this oh, yeah you know, like it's it's kind of got like this like like a lot of like, um, women or families that are kind of just like facing like some kind of dilemma Turmoil, that, that yeah. sort of changes things. Um, as a matter of fact, she I forgetting the name of the movie, but she had just done one slightly previous to this with Diane Keaton um, where she's like a working you know, woman. And then like all of a sudden she's having a baby and she has to kind of come to terms with that. Um, so yeah, I mean they, they've done films like this and kind of a neat thing Um, that I've been doing lately when I'm searching around for films like this, where I'm not finding a ton of other information. Sometimes I'll go dig up like reviews of the era. And I almost always start with Siskel and Ebert because I feel like there's nothing that screams nineties critics like Siskel and Ebert. Uh And it's funny. I actually pulled a little quote um, from Roger Ebert's uh, review of the film where in kind of the last portion of it, and I'll just read it to you, it says, the movie was directed by Charles Shire and produced by Nancy Myers. and their previous credits include two films in the same vein, Irreconcilable Irreconcilable Differences, I can't say that word tonight, and Baby Boom, which starred Keaton as a queer woman, there you go, and who suddenly finds herself as a mother. Um, And I I really like this last little line he says, there are no great revelations of stunning insights in their films, just everyday life warmly observed. And I felt like that was a really great way to kind of like put a button on on what this film felt like. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't know about you, and I know we were joking about it last time, but I was like very much like hashtag girl dad going into this. You know, uh, for those who aren't aware, Michael has two girls. I have two girls. Um, And uh, the funny part is at least I started uh, watching this film – uh, with my older daughter, Zoe, was sitting on the couch watching it with me for probably the first half hour before she got bored and wanted to go do something else. But, like, that opening narration by our main character,
0: George oh, Banks. Oh, it gets you, man. <laughs> oh, it got me.
1: And it is. It's very poignant. And it's something that's lifted right out of the original um, um, from the 50s. Oh, really? Uh, I think cool. or 60s. I forget when the first one's from. Um uh, and not necessarily word for word, but that that scene where it's basically he's narrating, you know, like what's about to come. Um, and it did. like like that, and I have to say it for this movie on the whole, like, you know, I'm not the biggest um romantic comedy person, although there's definitely been a few over time that i've I've really liked. Um, but this was a nice sentimental movie and it was hitting me in the feels in a way that like it wouldn't have like years ago you know yeah. when i would have seen it originally but now like as a father of a young girl who like you know even in in my time recently you know she's 8 going on 9 and you know uh, our our next door neighbor's a little boy that's in her class and like sometimes she's telling me about how he's the world's greatest soccer player or this or that and i'm like Oh my god, it's happening. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm not ready for it. And it's, it's it's very funny. So I actually had a very poignant, you know, time watching this movie in, in some of those more heartfelt, you know, moments. And then all the rest is like the wonderful um nature that is Steve Martin in, in exactly right. doing what he normally does.
0: And you know what's funny about that? Because Grace does the same sort of thing. So she's got this little boy that she goes to taekwondo class and he's like he's so good at taekwondo dad you gotta watch him he's also on my t-ball team i'm like oh boy it's just five years old here we go yes. um she told me last night she wants a cell phone so that she can call one of her other little boyfriends and i'm like oh no this is not happening this is not Yeah, happening. well
1: we had one night where um i forget what the circumstance was it was either too late or something was going on and she like started legit like crying because she couldn't go see our neighbor and I'm like, we live next to them. You're going to be seeing him for the next, like, 20 years. Like, yeah. <laughs> like don't worry about it. But it's, it is very funny. So um, I definitely was having
0: feels while watching <laughs> this film. So what's funny about this movie with regard to Steve Martin in particular is he has the Steve Martin traits, but he plays it very lean. Like, he doesn't lean into the complete lunatic you know he almost plays it pretty straight in in, in a lot of ways there's a couple of scenes where he's you know off the wall crazy but he's not like you know a wild and crazy guy kind of situation you know (laughs) well it is and and part of
1: that um that i did find while i was doing some of my extra looking around is that um he basically got to a point um just before this in his career where he had been doing like all these very silly like wild and crazy as you say sort of um, character and all that brains kind of things, things like that. that yep um and he basically says that like he's like I got to a point where I was like I'm getting older I'm in like my mid40s and do I have the energy to keep being that person and like what am I gonna do like for my next steps of my career. So he had done like the family man and LA story and things like that, that were, um, um, you know, a couple that he did at the time. And he started basically transitioning into this more like less like cold blooded, like goofy kind of like funny guy to being kind of more like this, like, you know, average dad sort of character that he right. ends up then obviously playing in quite a lot of films here on out. And as part of that, He actually signed onto this film before the script was even written. So, um, you know, Nancy Myers was sort of like, you know, on on Seventh Heaven because she's like, I'm able to write for Steve Martin, not just write the role and then Steve Martin's going to fill it in. Um, So, you know, that worked out really nice for them. And then, um, you know, uh, opposite of him is Diane Keaton playing Nina Banks. Um, And she originally um, was. You know, Nancy Meyer was pushing for her um, because they had worked with her before. Actually, both of them were pushing for her because they'd worked with her before. Um, But Disney did not want her. Um, And again, this is touchstone under Disney Mm -hmm. um, because uh, she had um, done a couple movies for them previously that were kind of like box office flops, didn't kind of do too well. So they really kind of didn't have any interest in her at all. Um, But the two of them kind of like begged, borrowed and and pleaded with Disney to get her on. And I think she's actually very good in this role and, and, you know, kind of plays it very naturally as as sort of a counterpart to um, Steve Martin. So um, just kind of interesting uh, how that came together. Um, But again, on that narration, uh, opening narration, kind of funny thing to sort of lead things off. um, Apparently that took Steve Martin hours and hours of filming to do. Um, to the point that it took around thirty-five takes. It's a long monologue. It's well, it's not only just like skill-wise, but apparently, like again, like transitioning into like who he, he's kind of you know becoming an actor. He, it, they basically were like really pushing him to get in like this certain like like comfort level of of how he was delivering it because they were really trying to hit. Um, something similar to the Spencer Tracy, you know, narration in the original film. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were kind of like really letting him breathe into that. So I thought that was uh, kind of just an interesting thing. And uh, you'll find that otherwise in my notes here that that becomes kind of a repeat thing (laughs) at different points in this film with multiple, multiple takes to get certain things right. Um, So the story opens that their daughter, um, Annie, has been away in Europe for four months. She's finishing out her studying to be an architect. Um, And she is played by Kimberly Williams. Um, who uh, is now Kimberly Williams Paisley, which I didn't realize is because she's married to Brad Paisley. You didn't know that? <laughs> well, I don't necessarily follow Brad Paisley, so like there wasn't really any reason for me to know that, I guess. This is also her breakout role. This
0: is like her her first big role. This is, role.
1: yeah. Um, and actually to continue on with the fun facts – um, she was not the original, um, actress, uh, that they wanted for this part. They wanted, um, of fast, uh, fast times at Ridgemont high fame, Phoebe Cates. Oh, um, but she was actually pregnant at the time. So she declined the role. Um, and then, uh, basically she wasn't feeling like she was going to get it. She was actually still in college at Northwestern at the time. Um, and not entirely even sure that she was interested in a career in acting, but, hmm. uh, she got the call back, um, as she was literally looking up, uh, gigs for like an internship, uh, outside of acting and they called her back and, and she got the role. So, um, no kidding. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, She was nineteen at the time that they were filming this, but uh, she plays twenty two. Twenty two in the film. But I was going to say because it is funny, like when you're watching it. Not that there's a huge age difference between, but you can see that she doesn't look twenty two. She she looks young, yeah. And Mm. and uh, you know, I think she did a really good job for this being her first ever acting gig, basically. Um, So it's it's pretty cool. And obviously, she goes on to do. Um, a fair bit more acting, uh, in a bunch of other things, um, including, uh, and I forget the guy's name, but the guy who plays Brian in this, the two of them take off from here and end up in several Hallmark commercials, not as the characters from this, but just <laughs> the two of them together uh, shortly after the movie, here just playing up on the the fame of the role from that period of time. So I thought that was also, um, that's pretty funny, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, you can actually look up the, uh, the old, uh, Hallmark commercials there in, um, Uh, I thought there was a big age difference between uh, the kids. They have a second kid, Maddie, um, who's. uh, I don't think they officially say, but he's around nine or ten, based on my estimation. That um, Kieran at at the filming of this uh, film was uh, nine, and this is his first talking role. It's not necessarily his first big screen movie role. We've seen him in Home Alone one, in Home Alone, but this is his first um, talking role. Um, that obviously sparks the rest of his, uh, ongoing career um, yeah. in the Culkin <laughs> dynasty, I guess you would <laughs> say. Culkin
0: dynasty.
1: Um, and, uh, you know, he's, I think he's actually pretty darn good too. he's—he's oh, like, he's,
0: Every scene the kid is in, he's, he almost steals it every time. He's so Yeah, funny. there's a
1: little something to that, like, Culkin DNA that, like, they very early on had, like, real kind of nice, like, charm and wits to them that, that kind of, you know, carried them in these, uh, Film, so I have to give them credit for that. Um, So Annie uh, met Brian McKenzie in Rome, um, and uh, (laughs) basically, uh, the kind of the movie is sparked that off from here. That um, she announces to her parents that she met this guy, and they're engaged to be married, and he's going to be coming over to meet them. Um, And (laughs) it starts a series of just the most magnificent. Um, faces by Steve Martin um, that you'll see almost and I think, anything that he <laughs> ever yeah. goes on to do. And I have to say, I think it's one of my f- kind of things that I really like about this film is the the film has a heart, but it has humor. And there's times where the humor gets a little in the way of the movie, I feel like. And we'll, we'll touch on some of those points later on. Um, but one of the things that I really like is sort of these, like, kind of just points or things that are, like, delivered. And then basically it's just George reacting to it. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes he has a very big reaction, and sometimes he has these very just subtle, like, facial tics and things like that. And those are some of my favorite parts of this movie. And it's hard to, like, especially in a comedy like this, like, before you get into, like, movies of, like, the later 90s and early 2000s -hmm. and so on where it's, like, the things are just quote-fests, like a mile a minute. Like, you can just quote and quote and quote. There's not, like, a lot of, like, you know, like, quotable humor necessarily in this, although there's definitely a few that are very funny and and memorable. But for me, I think where a lot of this movie really delivers is just, like, him just, like, with these, like, various funny expressions or ways that he
0: reacts, you know, to certain (laughs) stuff. And on top of that, you're also – after that opening monologue, you're fully invested in him. No, oh, for sure, yeah. That you're taking this ride with him throughout this journey. And certain parts I watched with Dory and she was kind of like rolling her eyes like it's it's way <laughs> over the top. And, you know, that's just the shtick of, of, of him and trying to lean into that. But really and truly, like most dads, especially dads of girls, could – connect with this character that you're just like like who is this guy that my daughter is marrying like well so point in case so uh she mentions this and i
1: they have this great moment um where he like he's like say that again and like he sees his daughter as her like seven-year-old self and it's played little quick cameo and she pops up i think one or two other little times in in like flashbacks in the movie Uh, by Sarah Rose Carr, who you'll know from Beethoven and previously we talked about, Kindergarten Cop. Yep. Um, Which is funny because I actually then looked her up and she really doesn't go on to do much more than this. Really, it's like... After this, she's kind of gone. Kindergarten (laughs) Cop is her first role. This is her second. She does Beethoven, I think, third. I think there's like one or two other little things in the middle, Beethoven second, and then one more thing and that's it. She has like seven acting credits uh, to her name ever. So, just kind of another interesting little um, pop in. But it is funny that they picked her up um, um, for this very quick little pop in cameo role. Uh, but I thought it was very cute. And I, it definitely was like killing me, especially later in the movie. He has the montage of like seeing her like kind of like grow up. Bro, right? bro. And I was like, oh, oh, oh the
0: feels. <laughs> that gets me too. You're like, oh, boy.
1: So, I was doing a little math because um, she sort of uh, mentions this and like, you know he's like he's like you know you were this age when, when we got married whatever and his wife is like no you know I was younger when we got married I was her age when, um, had, when oh, we, yeah. the daughter was born so um, Andy like I said is 22 then um, which would mean that obviously the two of them got married when they were around maybe 21-ish 20-ish so it's pretty youngish um, age that they got married um, I'm what? one to speak though I got married when I was around like 23 three, I think, 22, 23 in there somewhere. Didn't have a kid till I was 30. So there's a little more of a gap, but it is funny because, and again, I think this is this little bit of difference from um, the nineties to now, or like, you know, maybe it's just me in denial or whatever. Generationally,
0: like they're saying that like Diane Keaton is 44.
1: Yeah. Well, so she's, you know, like real life, Diane Keaton is, is 44 um, at the time of this filming 44, or 46, I think. And Steve Martin is 45. And the funny part was, as I'm sitting there, like watching this, I was like, oh no, they're, they're like in their fifties. They have to be. And like, no, they're like, <laughs> they're like just a couple of years older than we are. And I was like, you know, gosh, it just seems like impossible that, you know, and again, like huge different gap in, in when they had their first child between when I did, um, or you did. But it, it just it just seemed very funny to me that like they would be facing this, you know, wedding in this time and whatever in their life at, at this point. They just seem older. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's very funny. Um, so she's talking to her parents about Brian and she says that he's an independent communications consultant, which I had to go back and find because like they mentioned it several times, but I like could not keep <laughs> the yeah. job title in my head. But um, George is like, oh, that's like code for unemployed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Um, but he basically is like an IT consultant that different companies hire to travel to different spots around the world and you know deploy their software and things like that. Um, and George, you know, looking at all of this information that they've only known each other for maybe about two months or so. And, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, is like, you can't get married to him. And it kind of comes to like a little, you know, head where, you know, Annie storms out and he has to kind of go chase her down. But I do have to say, and this is what you were starting to say, it seemed a little odd that she wouldn't introduce Brian to them in person first, particularly, because she's like, oh, he's coming in like an hour. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, I guess she was bursting at the seams to let them know about that. I'm sure that there's a lot of other people that have gone this route in real life. To me, this seemed like just a way to kind of kickstart right. um, some of the stuff in the
0: plot of the movie without the throw introducing in him right off the bat. Yeah, basically, they're throwing in the drama and, you know, boom, we're right into the action. Oh, now things have just got real. Because, you know, up until this point, you know, he's sort of super excited. His daughter's coming home. You know, he, he owns some sort of a sneaker company, some sort of rival company to, to Nike. <laughs> and, and like he had custom sneakers made for her and he's bringing it home. He stops and he got her bike all fixed up. and He was going to surprise her with her bike being fixed and so on and so forth. Because in his mind, she's still his little girl. And it's like, oh, we can go bike ride together because she's home from from Italy And then boom, she drops this news on him and he gets this wave of reality check hit him. Yeah,
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, And in doing so, he goes outside to, you know, kind of try and set things okay with her. Um, And he's like, oh, you want to, play a little basketball. Now, your (laughs) name in our recording tonight is Too Much Basketball. Now, um, is this specific to this scene or just the basketball in this movie
0: overall? I was curious. (laughs) So there is several basketball scenes throughout the film, but – Of an hour and 40 some odd minute movie, there's about nine minutes of them playing (laughs) basketball in the beginning. You're like, well, "Uh, so it is funny, like overly (laughs) drawn.
1: Yeah, they do establish that this is like a basketball family. Like even in like the previous lunch that I didn't mention, he was talking about activities they could do now that she's tickets yeah, and everything like that. Um, but it is funny. Like I made in my notes, like they have this basketball montage where they play basically almost the entirety of the song. My girl. Yeah. And in doing my research on this, um, this was a sequence that they filmed with the two of them over the course of two entire nights, over 200 takes of them actually playing basketball. They did not want to have this where, one of them would like shoot and then it'd be like, you know, some trick shot of, of, like somebody else, like getting the ball in the hoop. They wanted them like legitimately playing basketball, (laughs) which is very funny. And happily it turns out Steve Martin is somebody who's into basketball and actually uh, Kimberly Williams um, very ironically um, played um, basketball um, very often with her own dad. Um, So she was actually very like, into basketball and everything too. So like they were set up to film this, but it seemed really overlong. I know what they were going for because they were trying to like, you know, like basically to everything you just said, he finally gets this moment where it's like, all right, it's him with his little girl again, like in this comfort zone that they have, you know, she kind of mentions to him, I can't play pickup game of basketball with my heels on. He's like, Oh, well, it just so happens I know a guy that, you know, knows about sneakers. So, like, next thing she's in the sneakers in her fancy dress, kind of playing basketball um, with him and everything like that. So, I get what they're going for there. But, man, this sequence went
0: on for probably too long. <laughs> and I said to Dory, I said, I bet you they're like, wow, we got the rights to use my girl. We're going to use the whole damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it's like,
1: it got, It's point in and then it was still going. And I was like, oof, man, they just really wanted to like drag this sequence of them playing basketball (laughs) out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, fast forward a little bit. Brian does come over to meet them. um, And, uh, you know, Diane Keaton is very taken with him. George. Uh, is basically kind of finding every possible reason to to not like him. And uh, Brian's making it easy because he's a little handsy um, with his daughter and, and you know, like everything like that. But I have to say, like, he plays this character um, very earnestly. Um, you can see why um, the daughter and the wife are, are kind of into him. And to me, it was a little funny that George's character was very, very anti this character. Like he, he feels like he must be hiding something or something. But really the guy comes off like a very kind of like earnest, you know, soft-spoken kind of nice guy. You know, it's not like he showed up with like the, the typical like biker dude all tatted out, you know, like that you're used to seeing
0: happen at this point in see, a movie like this, you know. <laughs> see, I looked at it differently because he rolls up in a fancy car. Going too fast. <laughs> going too fast. But like I felt – you know, the mother, uh, Diane Keaton's character, is like overly excited about this. I'm like, this dude just showed up. You've spoken to him for a matter of 15 minutes and you're on board with this. I felt like she underreacted to this whole thing happening yeah. and he overreacted, but not too over. I mean, like it was over the top, but it was still like. I could I could justify some of the reaction that he's yeah. having. And
1: I think that's largely the joke that's ongoing throughout this whole movie, which is it's almost at times like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which uh, the wonderful thing about Curb Your Enthusiasm is half the time the character himself – doesn't make any sense. The things that he's asking for doing are just like insane. Doesn't make sense. Everybody in the world would be like, what are you talking about? But then the other half of the time uh, with Larry David, essentially is what I mean to say. Yeah. um, The people around him and the world around him are, don't make any sense. Right. So, and it flips that way. And there's a lot of that going on in this film. You know, sometimes his reactions, George's reactions are very over the top to things that are, like, fine, you know, a la the upcoming scene where he's, you know, jumping in the pool, etc. But then there's other times where the wife and the daughter are, like, so taking things lightly that are like oh my god like that's actually insane you know yeah. that you're like oh no he's completely like within his rights to be acting like oh my god no you know so it definitely jumps back and forth like that and i think that's you know a, a reason why the comedy in this actually does for me at least work yeah is it, it definitely employs that kind of like funny stepping out of the real world with with reactions and and certain things like that that, that kind of makes you relate to the character on on certain levels like right. that for sure um so you know a, a, another kind of um gag that also hit me in the feels again <laughs> is uh he's like oh you, you know like let's, all right like Brian and I are going to go take a ride around town and of course Brian has like a convertible or something so like you know George says like oh well bring your coat it's it's getting a little cool out and she's like, oh, no, it's fine, dad. And Brian's like, oh, you know, yeah, it is a little cool out. And she's like, oh, really? All right, I'll go get my coat. And, like, yep. it's just a little, like, blink and you miss it moment. But, yeah, it's such like a, oh, my God, like, that's the moment. You know, like, yeah. like that's the moment that George sort of realizes. He lost his daughter. Like, she's like, not. Yeah, it's it like, I'm out now. Like, you know, and he mm-hmm. sort of, I think, even sort of alludes and directly says sort of in some of his narration throughout the film, like like, that's the moment I realize, like, you know like she's grown up and she's out of out of you know she's yeah. not listening to daddy anymore now it's now it's this other guy and it's funny like uh and who's like you know sitting with me on the couch sometimes while watching this and also wandering around in the background doing other stuff at different points like immediately chimes in at that point like yep that's exactly how it happens <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it, it is so funny like you know so I I'm holding on to that in my life for now so yeah <laughs> um one I, I did try and grab a few quotable uh, jokes that pop up throughout uh, at one point. I couldn't help but uh, grab this one is um, they're heading out the door and Steve Martin says, uh, fasten your condom, make sure to fasten your condom. <laughs> uh, and she's like, dad, he's like, Oh, seatbelt. Sorry. I meant seatbelt. <laughs> Definitely a great little gag. So that I thought this was hilarious. very funny. That made um, me
0: laugh.
1: So then uh, George and Nina are discussing Brian uh, and he's coming up with every possible reason not to like him on the flip side. Kind of per your point, Nina is sort of very accepting of him, uh, but George is sort of like taking it to like, I feel like I've seen him on America's Most Wanted, which becomes kind of like a like an ongoing gag throughout the rest of the film that he's like watching America's Most Wanted every night, which I think is also a, a really funny 90s illusion that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like who would ever like think about that these days like you're like oh nowadays if you're looking for you'd be like googling the kid yeah going on like facebook that. or whatever.
0: yeah yeah
1: exactly like you know Instagram. back then like trying to watch like america's most wanted <laughs> every night which actually another funny thing to bring up at this point in time is i also realized and i don't think i mentioned it last time there's a new um father of the bride coming down the pipe uh, at the moment, with I think um, it's Andy to be Garcia. The, uh, yeah, I think it's supposed to be based on like a Cuban American um, yeah. family, and it's going to be on HBO Max. Yeah, it's Andy um, Garcia,
0: and I, I feel like I feel like it was like Gloria Estefan or some of that is is the mom.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, I think it's due out in the next few months here. So. Uh, I'm curious how that'll go um, comparatively, but interesting that um, HBO ended up with the rights to that because you would think that Disney would have somehow retained that after all these years. But yeah, it's weird. I digress. So next day they're um, heading to meet the in-laws in Bel Air, which made me all excited on these uh, fresh Prince of Bel Air vibes. <laughs> and uh, they're driving along, and you know, like you know, now George's newest thing to complain about is like. Oh, apparently they're like, like you know, hoity-toity kind of yeah. ultra-wealthy people, you know, like, so that's going to bother him. Um, and again, when he gets there and meets them, the, the people themselves are like fairly down to yeah. earth despite having like this like enormous house. Um, I, one funny kind of gag is that as soon as he comes in – and I remembered this when I was trying to do my recall – uh, that the people have these dogs, they have like two Doberman pinchers and like some other dog. Yeah. Um, for, for some reason, the third dog disappears after the very first time you see them. Uh, and they come in and he's like, Oh, like, like, you know, these are our our sweeties and whatever. And he goes to like pet them. And the thing like basically almost takes his hand off. And the guy has some verbal command. I forget what it ends up being. Release. Release. Yeah. To like get the dogs to, to leave him alone. Um, and you know uh, they're chatting a little bit uh and uh, he has to use the bathroom and they say i guess they say the the downstairs bathroom is being renovated you could head to our bathroom upstairs it's the seventh door on the left and he goes second door on the left no seventh <laughs> door on the left yeah so uh he heads up to this bathroom and uh, I, it, it's it's kind of a weird there's a few times like this where it's like a weird part in the movie for me cuz like in one hand it's like it's kind of this like slapsticky kind of humor. Um, And I get it. But then like, it also feels a little out of character for the rest of this film and sort of like what they're doing. So it gets kind of like the series where he like, he gets kind of Snoopy. So like he goes in and tries to like look in their medicine cabinets and like in this like ultra rich house, like, he touches the medicine cabinet and it like falls off the wall. Yeah. And so he like grabs it and he like puts it back. But then like bizarrely the bathroom is like linked to, I guess the, the husband's the office. office or a so, study or something like that. Yeah. So he goes in there and starts like snooping around in his desk and another big throwback and, and people out there can feel free to correct me if this is no longer the case, but this was just like another like nineties nostalgia thing for me. He goes snooping through his desk and he finds his Bank book. Did you have a bank book when you were young?
0: Yes. Everybody. I, I had a bank book. Everybody did. Because you, you had to go to the bank. Does anybody when,
1: now have a bank book?
0: Is no, my question. <laughs> like, no. like those just stopped being a
1: thing at some point, I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would I would say when, you know, debit cards became a thing, you didn't need it anymore. Or like an online or At least
1: online banking. Yeah. yeah. It, it it so cracked me up. I had this like very like I, I like jumped out of the movie for a minute because I was like, "Oh my god, a bank book!" It's something I have not thought about in a since I was time. a little tiny kid with my very first Apple Savings Bank, you know, <laughs>
0: bank book and everything. I I still had, I still have my first one because when you like finish it, they they like laser punch holes in it that it says that it's like done. But like you used to go to the bank with with your, your paycheck or whatever, and you'd hand them your bank book, and they would deposit the check, and they would you know. You know, etch on whatever the deposit was. So you had your transaction records there. It was so weird to see. I was like, wow, I forgot about a bank book. It's so strange.
1: Yeah, it's very much like how you would like stamp a passport. You know, <laughs> exactly. like they would just like, you'd bring it in and then you'd get your transaction on there. And it's just so funny because, again, it's just something that I have not thought about. In probably like two decades and it's just like probably even more than that yeah um and it was just very funny seeing that pop up because there are funny things that as we watch these 90s movies back where i'm like oh yeah i remember something like that but what a random funny little pull but anyway it gets into this like you know series of events where he, he takes out this bank book and then the dogs the dobermans show up under the desk and he's hiding from the maid mm-hmm. and he's trying to get the dobermans away from him and they're like getting closer and closer and the third dog's nowhere to be seen. And he decides that he needs to like jump out the balcony. Now, why he doesn't just leave the bank book on the desk. I'm a little right. confused. Um, and I forget no if he, he either throws the bank book out first and then he jumps out or he jumps out and drops it. I don't know, but the bank book ends up in the pool. So basically the next what thing- happens
0: is, so he falls out of the window into like a gazebo of some sort and kind of drops himself down and, you know, It's right in front of where they're hanging out, having lunch. And the wife is like freaking out. She sees him. She's trying to like get him to go away. And (laughs) then he, he tries to like frisbee it back into the office. And the, the maid in the house, is like airing out a towel a to towel say it and wax, wax it until that's right, yeah. Wh- wax it and it flies into the pool, and then he has to like fish it out of the pool. And then
1: of course, like the dogs have now somehow gotten downstairs and out, and they're coming for him again. And he's trying every R word he can think of. And yeah, long story short, obviously he gets caught in the pool with the dogs and and the bank book, and it doesn't get brought up again for a while until yeah. later in the movie. But it was just like. You know, there's a few things like this throughout this film that get very, um, you know, slapsticky is one word for it, but it, it almost like the film like jumps out of its own plot to do this thing, just have this yeah. kind of silly moment. And I, it, it, it takes funny, you out of the
0: movie in a way. It,
1: well, it does. It's funny, but it doesn't feel, it feels disingenuous to the rest of like the plot of the movie and kind of yeah. how they're going along. So I don't know, like it, I... I, I feel very torn on, on these sort of scenes because in one respect, like I did laugh and whatever, it's funny, but it also felt like a little out of place. So like, I don't know. I'm, I still feel torn on that.
0: Um, it was almost as if they did it to like give Steve Martin one of those, like, okay, let him be goofy Steve Martin yeah. moments kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Um. So essentially skipping along to the next scene, they're starting to talk a little bit about the planning of the film, um, over dinner. Uh, they're out in like their back patio and they're all, you know, the family's chatting about it. And, um, you know, like they're kind of like, what are, what are sort of your thoughts and things like this. And, you know, at this point, he's definitely a little bit more on board. Like he's clear that the wedding is happening now. It's just like, to what degree is the wedding happening? So this is kind of where it starts getting more into like the jokes are more about his frugality and kind of how, how he envisions things happening. But there's one moment
0: before they go out on the patio where he and Diane Keaton are talking in the kitchen and they're discussing the the dinner or the lunch with the with the in-laws. And they mentioned that the in-laws offered to help pay for the wedding. And and he kind of like says, no, I don't want them to help me. Like and, and it, it's like. I don't know if that would be the same way nowadays. Like you know, it's hard to say. You know,
1: obviously there's the long-standing tradition of um, the bride's side pays for everything. Um, I think certainly as as we've gotten much closer to today, that's definitely no longer the case in in so many scenarios. I think you have a lot of cases where sometimes the bride's family just if they're of, uh, you know if they have the ability to do so, they sometimes pay for the whole thing. I think a lot of times now it's split. I think a lot of times now the bride and groom are paying for, you know, a good yeah. portion of their own weddings and things yeah, absolutely.
2: like that. Absolutely. Um,
1: but uh, it is, it is an interesting thing. And he's, you know, of all these kind of funny things he could glom onto, he's holding on to that tradition. And I think in a way it's because he is losing so much control of everything else. This is like the one way he feels he can, control something about yeah. what's going on, which is to say, like, no, 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 I'm I'm going to pay for it. And, you know, they're not poor. as wealthy as the other family, but they're by no means poor. Yeah. No. I mean, he, he runs this um, sure sneaker company. You know, she even kind of makes mention at some point, like, we don't really travel anywhere. We don't really do this. We don't really do that. We can afford to give our daughter, like, a really nice wedding. So, you know, I think it just becomes the ongoing joke of, of him being frugal, but obviously he's not like, you know, going to be like destitute <laughs> after this, even though he makes a couple of jokes, like, you know, that they're going to be like in bathrobes, like living on the street or something. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, you know, they're talking about some of the um, things and I love that he suggests, oh, I have a perfect idea. We could have it at the our favorite restaurant the steak pit (laughs) and like before I could even like say like, Oh my God, what a name for a restaurant. You know, uh, Kieran Culkin's character, Maddie's like, I don't think you want to have it somewhere that has the word pit in the name. (laughs) And it's like, it's so perfectly delivered. And I, I have to give him credit. Like, you know, there's a lot of times where there's like a younger sibling or whatever, in a film like this. And they really only serve to be like an annoying foil. Yeah. But he's like a really great little addition to this film. He really delivers some really good, like one liners, like little zingers at just the right time in, in different spots. Yeah. Um, and anyway, they go on to where Annie basically is like, no, like my ideas, I'd like to be married in a church. And then I'd really like to have the reception here. Um, and again, kind of a, a nice poignant sort of um, thought. Um, A little questionable as you start to progress and start to find out how many people they're inviting and things like that, particularly given that like if they had it at like Brian's parents' place, they already have like a lot more space and space and whatever. And obviously like they could go with a venue that's going to fit all these other people. But I really wanted to put a pin in that. And I mentioned this to you before the show to talk about um there's a really really cool um transition that happens here where um basically George imagines what a, a reception in his yard would look like. Yeah. And the way the shot is set up is it starts with a shot of him and it's at night while they're having this dinner together and it pans to the right and it gets to like a sunset sort of time of day. And he's hosting like a barbecue in the backyard. He's got like balloons. He's got like a chef hat and sunglasses on. And he's like, all right, here's the bride and groom burgers. And like Annie's like, just what I always wanted, a barbecue wedding. And then it like pans back to him. And I don't know how they did this. It's almost a flawless transition. I found some little bugs in it and I was really trying to figure out how they did it. Like I had some initial ideas at first, like maybe they um, enclosed the portion of the set where they were doing the dinner Mm -hmm. and um, you know, basically had the lights turned way down in that section. And when it pans over to the scene, Um, You see Georgia's character there serving them food. But like I said, he's got a top hat or a chef's hat on. He's got sunglasses on. It could very easily be a Steve Martin double that's, that's essentially serving them. And that'd be like one way to do that. And I was like, maybe that's how they did this because it's kind of a cool like sort of transition. Mm -hmm. But then on more exploration, I started noticing there's like funny little artifacts. So like, for example, when it starts to pan from him initially from the left to the right, there to the right of him is a bouquet of, or some flowers and a candle. Mm -hmm. And then when it pans back, you see a little portion of the candle, but it's almost like faded a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the bouquet is not even there anymore. So I get the impression that they actually did a little bit of because again, like this stuff is not being done by CG at this point. This right. is all being done in camera, or um, you know, at least uh, in post by merging reels of film together with mats and things like that. I think they basically did like a matted transition between these two layers, hmm. but it's it's like scarily flawless because there's things like flowers on the trellis behind them that are in the, the night scene, dark, but they're lit white. Cause they're like these white flowers. And then when it transitions over to the daytime portion of the scene, they're tracking along with all those same flowers. And if you did this effect now,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it'd be something you could do in after effects in like 20 minutes. Cause they right. have all these wonderful tracking tools and things like that, where you could match up two shots. Conversely, they could have maybe done this on a motion-controlled camera at that time, uh, which is basically, for anybody that's not aware, it's basically a computerized camera that can repeat the exact same motion over and over and over again flawlessly. But it looks really handheld. So I'm really stumped on how they did this exact uh, effect shot. And it's really funny because this is not a movie where you think about special effects effects or visual effects happening, but they have this one at least – really cool visual effects uh, transition to this scene. Um, And it's really hard to tell how they did it. Like their blends are really nice. So Mm. little hats off to the filmmakers on that one, because they did a really, really clean job, especially for the time uh, that they would have been doing this. And for like, you know, what is relatively not like a high budget special effects film to be putting in this cool little effect. So wanted to give a little wink and nod to, to that scene. If you're interested to go see it yourself, uh, and you have access to this movie, it starts right around the 37 minute and 30 second mark. So feel mm-hmm. free to check it out. I might see if I can export a little clip of it and throw it up onto our um, Twitter or Instagram or something like that, just so, so the listeners can see it, um, because it's it's just pretty cool. And I, I thought it was a neat little uh, uh, transition. Hmm. Uh, So uh, the next thing they start talking about is that, no, we can't do it at the steak pit where we, you know, we can't throw a a barbecue in the backyard. We need to get a wedding coordinator. (laughs) Now, Steve Martin's immediate reaction to this is what is a wedding coordinator? Now, uh, certainly if you've gotten married in the past like decade or two, you know what a wedding coordinator is. And I would argue that even back in the 90s. People would know what a wedding coordinator is because it's built right into the name.
0: (laughs) A dad may not know. I could justify that. Like, (laughs) I I could, I could give, I could give him, give him credit. He probably didn't know. It's fine. It's okay.
1: So we're introduced to this wedding coordinator, I guess, seemingly the next day or so, um, in Martin Short's Franck, and uh, this is a great character. Um, I think it's a really fun way to include Martin Short alongside, uh, Steve Martin in this film. Um, fun fact, uh, this character is not so roughly based on a real life, uh, wedding coordinator who's been in the business for decades named Martin Lee. Um, he is a celebrity wedding coordinator. He's done all manner of celebrity weddings, including the Kardashians in more recent times. Um, and, uh, you can definitely see a little parallel, Um, into who this character is, but otherwise um, Frank is largely out of the imagination of Martin Short. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of his dialogue is improv, as well as his accent, which he describes as an amalgam of various um, uh, accents and transitioning back and forth from different places around Europe, Um, which is why like at any given moment, he sounds like he's like French, German
0: Yeah, it's all all over the place.
1: It's it's all over the place. And and like he sort of says that like that's the case. And then um, they made kind of a point in um, the second movie to like way tone down um, who his – all this kind of like kind of the way he talks. Uh, And it wasn't like he's like – he even sort of says like it wasn't something like asking explicitly for that. But we just sort of like unwritten rule sort of decided to kind of like tone him down a lot. Um, and it's funny, I don't think I remembered him as being as extreme of an accent as he actually does have, especially in the early parts of this, yeah. um, where sometimes and it's, it's part of the joke that some of what he's saying is basically unintelligible. Like, like, like Steve Martin's character can't make it out while meanwhile, his wife and daughter can like fairly
0: well make it out. Yeah. What's also um, funny about this is like, I remember him having a much larger role and he's not in it as much as I thought he was in. He's maybe in it for about three or four scenes in the whole movie. You know?
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of like I think because this movie is kind of made up of vignettes of sort of a little bit longer scenes. So like, you know, he has like on screen time. It's just sort of broken up into like different portions of it. But yes, I, I don't think he plays quite as big a role. Maybe in this one as maybe he does in the sec second movie. I don't know. I don't yeah. remember. So, um, we immediately meet um, BD Wong's character, um, before we meet Frank, and I like I was really like trying to get over this like ponytail that he had because you know, of all the different roles that BD Wong has o- had over time, like this one with this ponytail, I'm like, oh my god, cut that thing off, yeah. Um, so like I say, Steve Martin just can't understand him, he has a bunch of like very funny words, and I was cracking up because uh, Zoe was milling through the room again at that point, And like, he'd be like, Oh, the, the wooding. And like, Zoe be like, ah, wooding. And like, you know, like all just like the funny thing. So like it appealed to the eight year old as much as it did the, uh, uh, 39 year old. So, so I thought that was, was kind of fun. Um, and it's kind of at this point, And he, he, I think he even says so that he realizes that he's been cut out of the wedding. Um, you know, like basically they're off to the races with, with planning and everything. And like, his input kind of doesn't matter anymore. Um, so flash forward a little bit um, and he's waiting uh, for a quote on what the pricing of the wedding's going to be per franc. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a fun little stat moment. So he gets a 250 ahead uh, count, which at first he thinks is 150 ahead. He's like, Oh, that's not so bad. It's in fact, 250 ahead. And the guest list is, is 572 people, which is actually down from where it starts off. It starts off closer to 600. So I did a little bit of math, and then I found some other fun facts. So I did a little bit of math uh, while I was watching the film. So if you do 250 ahead times 572 people, that's $143,000 just for food at the wedding. Um, In 1991. Yes. (laughs) Or two, I guess. Yes. but Yeah. um, Right. Uh there's a website that's called Beefrogel.com uh that had a neat little breakdown of this that that took it even a few steps further. And it actually was breaking down uh the costs of various on-screen weddings. So they had like Sex in the City and several other different things in there. Mm-hmm. Um but they tally up that the wedding would actually cost closer to $249,323. And this is where they come wow. up with some of that math. Uh, it obviously includes the aforementioned 143000 on the, the headcount, but this also uh, counts Annie's dress, which they say is based on Grace Kelly's wedding dress, oh, wow. which they estimate at a cost of $68,000. Uh, um, Frank's services, which are $18,000. Bridesmaid dresses came out around $10,000. And flying all those relatives that they mentioned in the film from oh, Copenhagen. Yeah which would be around $10,323 to fly them round trip.
2: Wow. So
1: grand total of $249,323. Now, I'm imagining that number is not including things like his tuxedo um, and some of the extras, you know, like hiring like those valet parkers and – you know, yada, 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 a lot of extra little things that come along with a wedding. So I could imagine this wedding even gets up into like the $300,000 range. So, Crazy. wow, what a number. <laughs> you know, like that's that's really quite something. And again, especially as you said, especially for 1992. So yeah. And the other funny part is while they're talking with Franck, despite things like eventually – having, uh, you know, like a total overhaul of their house and swans and things like that. Franck sort of agrees that they're not going to go too extravagant with what they're planning for this wedding. You know, yeah. I think they even mentioned it. It's funny. I I, I guess it's wrapped into the food cost. Like the cake alone, I think, was something like maybe $1,200. $1,200. And again, 1992, 1200 Like I think my wedding cake at our 2006 wedding was like maybe Eight hundred ish, nine hundred is something
0: mine, like. That. Mine was around. That's New York
1: City pricing, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. So you know, yeah,
0: and mine, think, mine was around a little, you know, eight hundred to nine hundred, somewhere in that range. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So again, that that's quite something. Um, so again, um, <laughs> I it, it's funny, like you know, I this is one of the parts in the movie where I think the wife and the daughter are going a little off the rails. Uh, in so much as like, for example, they're, they're um, inviting Franck to the wedding. They're like, well, he's coordinating the whole thing. Like we have to invite him. And this seemed like a really silly thing because again, like if you've gotten married with a wedding coordinator, the wedding coordinator's there, that's their job. They're (laughs) working
0: the event. Yeah.
1: You don't have to like count them in and like, you know, like he's very rightly sort of like, no, we're not inviting them. And like, he has a couple other like really great um, lines like where they're like, oh, like Aunt such and such like or, or somebody like that. Like, oh, they're dead. Like he's like, oh, great. Oh, no, that's that's sad. <laughs> but like, you know, like, but we don't sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like he it's definitely like has some great lines like that. Um, the next scene is so wonderful. Um, he's up in his attic trying on uh, like his old tuxedo from like the 70s. Um, it's just like, it's a great scene. Um, this was something that to my understanding was not in the earlier film, but was something that was in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and then was largely, um, brought back on, on kind of the wishes of, uh, of Steve Martin actually. And he sort of had this idea that he'd be wearing like this like seventies ish, um, tight fitting, uh, tuxedo, and especially that he'd be wearing like white socks. Um, to go along with it, you know, sort of thing. Um, and it's just like a great, like fun little scene. And something I noticed um, that they do in this scene, and, and they repeat this several times uh, in this film. And I, again, I have to give it up to um, some of the cinematography in this film. They definitely make use of mirrors at different points in this yeah. film. And people walking into a scene and ending up in like a mirror as like a reflection or things like that. And again, like he's like looking at himself in like this kind of like cool old fashioned uh, multi-parted, uh mirror in the attic um and, and like you know i think he's dancing to like tom jones and i was like oh my god like i think he's singing like what's new pussycat yes and i was just like i was like god what a poll. like of all the songs that he could have thought of to be like singing he's like going all in on on what's new pussycat <laughs> um And uh, at some point in this scene, um, uh, Diane Keaton's character of Nina comes in and and is chatting with him, whatever. And she says, oh, well, the church is free. And he's like, thank God something's finally free. And she's like, well, it's not free. It's
0: available. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, that's a great little gag. You're like, oh, boy, (laughs) here we go. Yeah, that's no, that was funny. It's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, wait, no, she doesn't need <laughs> cost-free. Yes. So um Frank
1: and his team come over uh to the house and they're um, kind of measuring and checking things out. And they kind of have like this great like back and forth where he's like, um, you know, we got to pull all this furniture out. Well, why are you pulling all my furniture out? Well, because you're going to fit all these people in here. They, there has to be room. And he's like, well, what if um, somebody needs to sit down? And he's like, oh, well, we're we're going to be bringing in chairs. He's like, so you're taking my furniture out in order to bring in furniture? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, he's like, he's like, this is my whole career. Don't worry, I got you covered and everything. And uh, I, I think actually, I've, I skipped one little thing, which is like when they're walking up to the house. Uh, Frank has this great line where he's like, he's like, oh, it's it's very nice. We'll
0: change it all, though. (laughs) Yes. hate to say that. So good. But it's so so funny. Like, we go from the meeting the wedding planner to full-on wedding mode to almost like the day of the wedding in probably about under – under ten minutes. It has to be about eight eight minutes of the movie is this is this sequence. And they
1: make a mention at some point that they're planning this for a January wedding and that basically they have five months to do it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, is sort of, it, like I think Franck says, like five months, not a lot of time, but it's fine. We'll do, you know, like sort of, sort of thing. Not a very good Franck uh, <laughs> impression, but... Um, no, no judgment
0: here. No judgment.
1: Yeah, but it but it, it does. And basically I think that's why it, it just like hops around to kind of these like different parts where they're putting these things together. I think it's a little explainer on how George kind of becomes comfortable with it somewhat mm-hmm. quickly because actually quite a bit of time is... Um, passing by. So um, nice little touch. And I felt very proud of myself that I recognized him when Ange did not. They have a wedding singer that they're doing. Uh, I called it out too. And it's a very young looking Eugene Levy, um, yeah. which was pretty cool. Um, fun fact I found out afterwards um, they had a completely different actor doing the wedding singer role that is who we see. Um, George and Diane reacting to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but apparently like after they shot it, they're like, he's not very funny. He's not very good. I don't know who the original actor was, um, but they did all these shots as pickup shots of Eugene Levy. So um, he was not on the set with them. He did not meet up with Steve Martin and, and wow. for this scene. Everything you see him doing is just add ons because they realized he'd be just a funny Um, person to bring in to add in all those add-ins so it's obviously the magic of editing that you know it it comes together very seamlessly like they're watching him but uh he's shot totally separately on a completely different date of them as a pickup that's hilarious Um, so they meet this what i felt was a fairly youngish chef and i actually had to ask and because i must have missed it i'm like who is this guy uh who doesn't speak english at all um and uh George is really starting to come undone because you know like they're like offering all these various like um food options and he's like I don't you know like no not at all and he, he like says something like he wants like the like snappy chicken or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like and he's just like you can just see his head's about to explode. Um and he's like he's like store like kind of like slowly walking out of the room, like with all this like anguish and like just like he's he's like just nuts on his face. And you can tell he's just like he just needs to like scream into a pillow or something like that. Um, And he gets into his car, um, which I would be remiss to point out because I've sometimes pointed out in this podcast um, some of these cool old cars. And I felt very proud of myself that I was able to uh, recognize this was an Austin Healey uh, and I then, I then looked it up after the fact that it's a Austin Healey 3000, which is oh. a cool old British um, car. That's um, cool. But I, I just got a kick out of it. Like when he, he was driving it earlier in the movie when he was picking up the daughter's bicycle uh, and then he gets into it again. Um, and I'm trying, I think he basically, I don't know why. I don't remember exactly his reasoning, but he goes to a grocery store and he wants to get hot dogs and there's this fabulous Scene, which is like something that Ange actually, uh, funny enough, quotes at me all the time.
0: I remember um, this scene very vividly. Yeah,
1: like unrelated like to the film uh, or like not having watched it in a long time, Ange will quote this portion of the film back to me because I very often will raz her that like we'll like get like a package of, like, and you know, given. At least these days, like when we go out and buy hot dogs, we usually get an eight pack of hot dogs and an eight pack of buns. I haven't personally run into a situation where I've bought a 12 pack of buns and an eight pack of hot dogs. But what inevitably does happen at my house is like one of the kids will have like a hot dog or two hot dogs or something, but they don't take the bun with them or vice versa. (laughs) And so what I end up with is I'll go to like make a hot dog or two and there's like no buns left. Or, like, uh, there's, like, two hot dogs left in the package and there's, like, four buns left, you know, or something like that. And I'm like, ah! And, like, I start, like, complaining to her about it. And she's like, she's like all right, well, you're just, like, father of the bride, you know, like having the meltdown in the grocery store, you know. So she'll quote that to me um, very often. So it was funny that that, that came around uh, in this because I think we were even having that, like, a week or two ago. I was I was razzing her about it that the same situation came up that we had I think we had hot dogs, but no buns left for some reason (laughs) somehow happened. Um, So I was cracking up. And obviously uh, he is like really flipping out about it. And there's like a guy that works at the grocery store like, sir, what are you doing? And he's like, I have a problem that there's – Eight hot dogs and 12 buns. I don't want these buns. He's, like, just taking buns out of the bag and, like, leaving them. He's like, sir, you have to pay for those buns or whatever. And the funny part is they end up, like, getting the manager and they arrest him. doesn't really make any sense, though, because he could still, like, pay for the bag of buns. Even though right. he got rid of the extra buns, you know? Yeah. Like, so this is another one of these ones where I think the joke is for the sake of the movie, but it doesn't really make sense when you look at it through any mm. other sort of prism. Again, it kind of goes into that, like, slapstick kind of thing that doesn't yeah. really make sense. But anyway... Next thing, he's in jail <laughs> and he's in his torn uh, suit, I think, or he, I forget. I don't know if he's in the suit at this point or not. Um,
0: no, the suit ripped ripped in the house.
1: Yeah, that's – that's yeah, but I think he is still wearing the suit. I think – yeah, because he ripped it. That was one of the other reasons why he got so angry is he bent over or something and he, or he was trying to open his stuck door that the construction people are trying to like open and he rips the suit. So he's still in his ripped <laughs> old suit at this point in the jail. Um, And his wife shows up um, to bail him out. Uh, Now, something interesting I I forgot to point out about this character before is that his name is George Banks. Um, But in the original movie, and maybe the book, his name is Martin Banks. Um, And funny enough, and I'm not really sure why they made this change, again, except that it's uh, a movie that's under Disney. But this would have been the screenwriter and director's uh, change. They changed his name to George Banks to match George Banks from Mary Poppins, the father in Mary Poppins, which I thought was kind of a funny thing. But they retained the name Martin from the original film and maybe the book as his middle name. And we find that out in this jail scene because when his wife comes, she says George Martin Banks, like, you know, like, Mm. so, um, just kind of a fun, weird little change in name and an odd reasoning why not sure exactly why they wanted to have it. The George Banks from Mary Poppins, uh, just a fun fact that that's what they named him after. So there you go. Um, but, uh, this is like a little bit of like a turning point for this character. So she's like, I'm going to like bail you out. But, like, you need to get your act together. Like, this is your daughter's wedding. It's happening. You know, like, get on, you know. And, like, you know, they kind of make this great comment where, like, you know, like, you complain about the like per head cost to everybody that you meet. And he's like, "No, I don't. I, I haven't done that." And like the, <laughs> like off, the, the officer was like, he's yup. like
0: 250 a head, right? <laughs> and he's
1: like trainer.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, like yeah, so he's great little gags like that. So um,
0: the, the, this is an important thing to point out cuz we didn't cover it earlier. So as you say, there's several turning points or like like moments of realization for the character. And this is probably the most significant one, but there's an earlier one. I think after they first meet, uh, Frank, where the daughter's asleep on the couch, holding a bride magazine. And when he takes it off of her, he notices it says like, you know, how to plan a wedding on a, on a budget or whatever, or some sort of like, you know, how to do a yeah. low cost wedding. And, he felt bad that she's worrying about how much it's going to cost. And that's when he kind of like, all right, go ahead with the wedding planner and go all in kind of thing. And that's why I
1: say, and again, like I'm not going to be claiming to be any kind of like big Nancy Myers fan, but I think this is one of the things about why people do like her films is it has these kind of like honest moments that, feel realistic to actual people. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I think there's there's things like that where somebody might be kind of blowing up and, and acting like this way in real life and then, like, sort of see something like that. It might really, like, kind of be a bit of a gut punch and, and sort of a ch- mental check on where yeah. they need to be. So I, I do appreciate that there's these little, like, bits like that. Um, and then ultimately, and again, I, I forget if there's a little jump in time here. I might be skipping, but um, he... Um, basically, uh, they, uh, get back to their house and, um, he's, you know, he's like on board now and he's like, Oh, I want to give you a gift and everything like that. And just at that same time, uh, the McKenzie's pull up and give them like a brand new car, Must,
0: a Mustang, like a yeah. beautiful brand um, new Mustang, which
1: then like, he's feeling kind of like bad about, um, because, uh, basically he just got them a cappuccino maker, which is like a little allusion to like the fact that the two of them had gone out for cappuccino, um, earlier in the film. And he's like, you know, this is like supposed to be a nice one, but like, he feels a little
0: and because they met in Italy.
1: Yes. And that as well. Yeah. And, he, and I think that because they met at a cappuccino or they met at like a movie theater and went to get cappuccino, I think yeah. was the, the thing. Um, so it's kind of a cute gift that he got them, you know, like not the most expensive thing in the world. Although I don't feel like he should feel bad that he didn't get them the most expensive gift because he's paying 250 some odd thousand dollars for, for their wedding. So I think he's good, but you know, he, he just feels like a little bit like, you know, like he just got kind of like knocked out because they were <laughs> giving them a whole car or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we have a scene where, uh, his daughter, um, comes in bawling. Um, and he is sad because he's finally like really into it and he's, he's getting ready and everything And she's like, the wedding is off. Um, it's not happening, you know, cancel everything. And it's kind of a sweet scene because he goes with her into her bedroom and he's like, he's like, all right, whatever you want, we'll make it happen. Don't worry about right. it. You know? And I thought that was kind of a neat way to approach it because I think most people's reaction would be like, what, like what's going on? What happened? And he does eventually ask that, but his first reaction is like, whatever will make you happy, that's what we'll do. Like, don't stress about it. You know, so it's sort a really sweet moment as a dad um, that he kind of takes it in that stride. And um, the reason that she gives is that he gave her a blender. Now, one of the things that we find out about Annie, uh, and this is something that's you know, um, George kind of asked her about even early, like very first few scenes into the film, is that she kind of had this mindset of like a very independent woman that, She feels that getting married would be tying her down and that she'd like to go out and have like a career first and things like that. And then when she meets Brian, that kind of all flips or goes out the window. But it kind of sets her off that he gave her this blender because her feeling is that um he's just thinking of her as like a homemaker right and, and a
0: housewife and, and yeah
1: you know it's like it's like the old like you know don't give your wife a vacuum for an anniversary gift sort yeah. of thing you know and i think they were saying it was like their eight month anniversary of when they had met or something like that so like she was really upset that this is what um he gave her now come to find out uh you know brian gave her this gift because she had made some mention about like making some kind of like fruity drinks or something. He's just, he just something, thinking of it yeah. as like something for their house or whatever. But the second portion of it is that she's like, oh, and he's a liar. He, he's had this whole crazy lie that, that you like were snooping around the house and knocked over their mirror and like jumped in their pool and stole the bank, you know, like ledger. And of course he doesn't announce to her yet that this is the case, but fun fact about um, the film is again we were mentioning that this was her first acting gig and so she doesn't have years of acting chops to pull while she's creating this film and they were having a really really hard time with this scene so this is another one of these scenes where they're doing like you know umpteen takes to try and get the scene and part of the problem she was having is because she was like young uh, inexperienced actress she can't Cry on cry. command. Yeah. And so she was having a really, really difficult time with it. So they were like doing another take, another take, another take, and they weren't getting it. And basically um, they got to a pause in, in the filming where they were all taking a break and she got really upset with herself. And she, I remember, like I said, like she was at Northwestern studying at this time. She was 19. She was not done with college. She was not convinced that she had any reason to pursue a film career. And she just got really Upset, She was really upset at herself that she was not, you know, able to do this thing and not really able to nail this scene. And the next take they did, she genuinely started crying because she was so upset about, Mm. you know, like just being frustrated about acting and and something in in another article that she was mentioning is that they had a lot of very strenuous filming doing this movie that they would do back to back to back 16 plus hour days and that she was actually physically getting ill during the making uh, of the film and things like that. So basically it all hit a fever pitch and oh, wow. the scene that you see in the movie is genuinely her crying because she's so tired and sick and upset at this point during filming that it all came pouring out in her. Wow. So kind of just a neat uh, thing because that is the footage you see in that scene is all that, that final take when they, wow. uh, when That's this cool. all happens. Yeah. So pretty cool. Um, so George, um, decides to take Brian out for a drink and he sort of says to himself, like, this is my chance to get rid of him. Um, but like, basically like once he gets him there and he's talking with him and finally having this kind of like one-on-one time, he ultimately, like he says, "Like I'm looking into his like, you know, like weepy, you know, mopey face and everything like that. And like, starts realizing I need to help this kid. Right. Um, so he goes back home. He brings Brian back to her and he admits to the pool incident, which I'm actually stunned somehow has not come out to her before this. Like, you know, it means not only like that him and his wife have never mentioned it to her, but that their whole family, Brian's family knows about it. And that somehow none of them has brought it up to her,
0: you know? <laughs> like I am. I, um, I, and I chalked it up to like, it was an embarrassing accident and maybe they didn't want to, you know, his pa- her parents and his parents all kind of were just like listen. It was an awkward thing, but like, they were pretty chill people, so you know. Yeah. I could see them not talking about it. But it is
1: funny. Just I it cracked me up the <laughs>
0: like his face when he's like, Ugh, you know. <laughs> yep.
1: Um it happened. Yeah, it happened. So The two of them ultimately make up um, and end up on the stairs making out. (laughs) And it's such a great scene because he gets like stuck behind them. (laughs) Like he can't get past them. And he's like, I'm just going to go up here. (laughs) So uh, we're kind of at the essentially like getting towards the end of the movie. Now, what's interesting is I feel like the movie in one way um, could almost have ended here. Right there. Yep. You know, ultimately, you do need the payoff of, of the wedding and everything like that. But in a way, the movie is sort of like resolved itself. And now it just needs to have the wedding. You know what I mean? We're past all the problems. Now we're out of the, all that sticky. It's just kind of letting everything kind of uh, play out. So uh, they're getting the house ready. Um, they've got the swans. (laughs) I I felt a little bad that like, there's like two extras in that scene that like one has a broom and one has some sticks and they're just like swatting the swans. I thought it was a little odd, but like, all right, that's extras, I guess. Um, and, uh, there's a, he, he basically is laying in bed and he's like thinking about his daughter, uh, the night before the wedding. And he has this montage of her growing up. Um, and it has some of the aforementioned, uh, scenes with the little, um, girl from Beethoven and, uh, kindergarten cop. There's a younger girl also, um, that I don't know the actress. And I think there's a little bit of an older girl that I also don't know the actress. And then ultimately it, it works its way up to some of the scenes from even earlier in the film, which I also thought was a little interesting of an inclusion because like, while he's like dreaming, of like his daughter growing up. Like, I guess like they decided to include like that one last scene of her when he sees her the first time, once she got back from Rome as like sort of like that last moment of innocence before. Ultimately that she announces that she's getting uh, married. But I thought it was funny to like, essentially like reuse footage from (laughs) earlier in the film. Uh, And he starts hearing like this noise and it turns out that Annie is also uh, like awake and not able to fall asleep. And she's outside, Um, playing basketball. Now, another funny little fact um, is that there's two actual houses that were used in the filming of this movie. Um, The uh, front facade and most of the interior that we're used to seeing is a house in Pasadena Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: and the exteriors for like the reception and the basketball scenes are another house um, that uh, is in a different part of LA, and I'm forgetting the section of LA it's in.
0: The front of the house has been in other. I almost feel like it was it in Beethoven. I feel like it's, it- it's
1: definitely been in other movies. And, uh, and another funny thing about that the the house where they use – it's a bigger house that they use for the reception and the basketball exteriors, that house sold in 2016 for something like $2 million. Uh Um, But the other house, the smaller house, which is used for the front of the house and the interiors has been owned by the same couple for quite some time. And they actually say that it's a big, big spot for couples to come and propose. So they're like, whenever we go to like walk outside or leave our house, we have to be very careful to look out and make sure nobody's like getting proposed to right at that moment in time. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and That's that they've done money. a little bit of exterior work to the place in like the past 30 years and that neighbors and other people get very defensive of any changes they make. Like I think they removed their white picket fence at one point. Oh wow. And things like that. So like they've, they have, they've, they've gotten quite a lot of grief about any changes that happen to that house. So just kind of a funny little, um, fact, But um, they're out playing basketball and we get the final like kick to the head of the film, which is that even though they're in Los Angeles and it is January, it starts snowing. And Steve Martin makes a mention that it's like the first time it snowed in Los Angeles in like 20 or 30 years or something like that. So the snow makes a mess of everything. All the plans are like, you know, like, Oh God. So like Frank and his assistant are like personally out there shoveling the snow out of the driveway. And like they bring in all these space heaters, but the space heaters are starting to melt the ice sculpture. So they take all the space heaters back away again. And of course it's just like very like silly sort of thing. Um, And uh, basically they're like all trying to get ready and get out the door to the chapel. And he has this, you know, nice father-daughter moment where he goes up to her room and she's still in her room getting ready. He's like, come on, we're going to be late. And he opens the door and sees her for the first time in her dress. And my immediate reaction was like, wow, that is a very 90s wedding dress. Yeah. Oh,
0: me too. I thought the same thing was like, wow, that is pretty 90s, that dress. Yes.
1: Um, but a fantastic um, little heartfelt touch as she lifts up the dress and. And she's got on um, custom made sneakers that he made from his company for her, like little yeah. white um, sneakers, which is very cute. Uh, and again, another fun fact, when uh, she went on to marry um, Paisley, um, which, by the way, I have to say, like the, the story of how they did get married. I know we brought this up earlier is a little creepy, <laughs> like essentially. I'm sorry. It's Brad Paisley, right? Mm-hmm. Um Basically, he either had gotten divorced or had broken up a long-term relationship and was watching Father of the Bride Part 2, I guess, and saw her in it. I don't know why he was watching it, but he was watching it, saw her in it and goes like, oh my god, she's gorgeous. She really seems like the woman for me, which seems like a weird thing given – it's just like a woman acting in a film. Playing like, a character. <laughs> I guess you can get away with this sort of thing when you're like a famous country musician. He had a, like a song of his that he was going to film a music video for and reached out to see if she would be in the music video. And she came and did the music video and they essentially like fell in love and got married. But that seems a little like creepy stalkerish to me (laughs) yeah. like i'm so happy it worked out for them but like that seems like a really like weird abuse of power to be like i see a hot woman or whatever in a movie that i like i'm gonna have her come and be in a music video and then like it somehow ends up that they get together so i don't know a little odd but sure whatever (laughs) so anyway um when she got married um she also was saying that she wore some white sneakers for her That's actual cool. wedding. So I just thought that was kind of a cool, uh, cute little note. Um, so uh, we have the wedding um, and uh, I'm not going to talk too much about the wedding itself, uh, but they have this great ongoing um, blue suit joke, which has been happening previously up to this point. Like Frank mentions to him, like, you know that is not a black
0: tuxedo. That is navy blue. So, so what happens is, and this is a part we, you, you know, there's there's this guy that keeps showing up at George Banks's company that like sells knockoff pocketbooks or whatever, and he brings him in to get him an Armani tuxedo. Yes, and and Frank is like that's not an Armani tuxedo. He's like, what do you mean? It's genuine Armani. He's like, and he goes, yeah, Armani doesn't use polyester. Or maybe blue, yeah. Or navy blue. <laughs> And, like, the buttons are falling off. Like, it's it's having all these weird kind of problems. (laughs) It's like, oh, you with the blue tuxedo. (laughs) But what's great
1: is that, like, there's, like, several different people that are just like, yeah, you in the blue. And, like, the funny part is, like, in reality, like, in certain times when the light shines on it, you can see it's a little, little, little bit blue. But it's, like, a really dark, dark, dark. So it almost looks black. Yeah. But these people talk about it as if it's, like, you know, like, crushed velvet blue, you know, or something. it's royal blue or something like that. I'm like, it's not like but every time that that happens where it's like, yeah, you in the blue. Like I just kept laughing more <laughs> and more because it just keeps happening and happening. Um, and uh, I had to point out that during the reception, like, wow, everything is really transformed. Like Frank did his job. Like it's really quite stunning how they've got the back set up with like the fairy lights and like, you know, kind of how they have everything set up. You um, you have, Well, that set
0: designers didn't really do that. Yes, I
1: realized that, (laughs) but I'm just talking in context of the film. Um, uh, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) they have this insane number of people show up there, like this unbelievable amount of people that in reality, I think there's no way that many people are fitting to that house and to that yard for this reception. No, no way. way. And the cops end up coming because there are – hundreds, and I mean hundreds, I think they say it's like over 200 cars parked in the street, and it's hilarious because they go out there and like, it's literally like bumper to bumper, like three or four cars across on like this quaint little street in the middle of the road. Just just like the whole
0: street. Like,
1: and there's like these, they like, they're like, Oh, well like two of our like valets called in with the flu. And it cuts to like this, like shot of these two valets and they're like sweating and panting. And I was so cracking up at this little cutaway shot. But here's another one of these ones where this movie just jumps the shark. They're like, oh, we need to like solve this. So like basically him and his son and his son's friend, who wasn't supposed to be at the wedding, because yeah. they say earlier in the film, I'm not paying $250 so your little buddy can be at the wedding. <laughs> He's like, oh he won't eat. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is is basically all start parking cars. Now, again, this is a nine-year-old. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the nine-year-olds don't know how to like be parking, especially like in close quarters valet style parking these cars like and they're just basically it's a weird scene because they move like three or four cars like into their yard yeah but that doesn't really solve the rest of the problem and it made no sense to me because like again like i realized who this character is and like he kind of feels like things are out of control and everything for him but i i, I said to and, and this is the part of the movie that actually i i liked this movie up till this point and it really upset me yeah I don't know why they made the choices they made because basically he ends up missing the entire, the entire thing. Like, like he misses the daddy-daughter dance and like they, they have all these scenes where she's like, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And they're like not waiting for him and he's out parking cars with his
0: kid. Right. And like, you're, like you're paying for a wedding coordinator. He should be doing it. Why is the father doing this? It, it makes no sense to yeah. the story. It, and there's like – It makes no sense to the character because like at this point,
1: you see that this guy is like incredibly in love with his daughter and just wants to make her happy. And like he just does this series of stupid events where he like basically isn't around. For, he misses every important part of the reception. Now, I will say there's some weird time stuff going on with this reception. So the, the other thing I was going to point out is um, they, they're supposed to have the daddy-daughter dance. He misses it. And then he she's going to throw her bouquet and they're going to leave because they're about to go on their their honeymoon. And he – I think part of the problem and part of the joke they're trying to make is that there's too many people. And yeah. so he can never get through the crowd. It doesn't seem to be a problem for his wife somehow. But for him, it seems to be this problem that he can never get through the crowd to where he needs to be. So he has this thing where he's like, oh, I'm going to take a shortcut and that way I'll, I'll like get around to the side of the house. So that way I'll be in time for where my – daughter. And now son-in-law are about to leave for their thing. And he misses that too, even though he takes this like route through the back of the house. Now here's where it gets really funky. And I feel like it's a plot hole. The daughter, when she's throwing her bouquet and he decides to do this, is still in her wedding gown. The next time we see her, she's upstairs and her and Brian have changed into new outfits to go to the airport in. So it takes him this long that they from the middle of like throwing the bouquet can get around and change outfits and he's not able to get to the same
0: room they are. I mean, it it, it would have had to have taken at least 15, 20 minutes to get out of that dress. I have a
1: real problem with this. And again, like I realize it's like a movie and you suspend your disbelief, but I just don't understand the reasoning for any of this. I, at this point in the movie, the character is resolved to the wedding It's not funny that he's missing these things. If anything, it's heartbreaking that he's missing these things. It was really bothering me.
0: It bothered me too. It really bothered me too.
1: So it it really threw a wrench in the works for me because I'm like, we're now past all the good feeling or the silly stuff. And ultimately it resolves itself in so much as that he's sitting there kind of like where we met him in the beginning, where he's got his shoes off. There's nobody else around. And he, he kind of says this line like, wow, how really feels empty when all of a sudden it's no longer full and it's got this kind of like just sort of like poignant moment and it it tries to redeem itself with the fact that Annie calls him from the airport and it's got this nice scene where she's like I love you dad and he's like I love you too but it's but almost I, too
0: little too late it's like
1: I, I just hate that that couldn't have happened in person like I hate that somehow he couldn't have managed to make it to them like right as they were getting in the car and he's able to like give her like one last embrace. Or right. I hate that it had to be a phone call. I really don't love that. Yeah. Um, and ultimately the film um, ends with him and his wife um, dancing and it pans out. It's got like all the, the fairy lights and uh, pretty shot
0: through the door. Um, but. But like you it, said, like th- this whole sequence, it takes me out of the movie and and I really loved the movie up until this point because I'm just like, well, it's it was just. The just thing. Oh. This is the thing.
1: And, and overall, so like, there's our review. And overall, I liked this movie. I, I felt fine about this movie. It, it especially hit home closer to me um, all these years later, now that I am a father to two girls. Like, it, it definitely just rang in certain cases true to me. And I feel like, you know, in another. You know, 10 to 15 years, like if if my kids are getting married, you know, like I'll probably have to give this a rewatch again at that point, you know, but it did not stick the landing, um, which really bummed me out because like it's it's got like it's it's genuinely supposed to be like a feel good movie and it's full of like a lot of laughs and a lot of heart. And then it, it just it made me so upset that at the end that like he missed all these things. It really bothered me. And I know yeah. I'm just like kicking a dead horse with that. But like, it, you know, like from a personal and movie watcher point of view, like it just felt very out of character and out of the plot for him to be missing all this stuff. And it doesn't give you a happy ending. Like, it doesn't give you... Yeah, I mean, they try and put a little bow on it again, like, with that phone call, and it's supposed to be a little bit redeeming, but, like, it's, it, it's it's like, silly and schlocky to say, but that's not the happy ending that I was hoping for. And, yeah. You know, maybe there's a little point to be made in that, like, these things don't always work out 100% perfect and whatever, and that's, that's the way it goes, but, like... Just it, it was like it was like torturous, like these repeated scenes where she's like, Where's my dad? Where's my dad? And he's right. like out doing something stupid or, or not finding his way. It, it just it just was bothering me. Right. So it's, it, it's you
0: know, and it goes back to and I'm, I'm not even gonna get you know, it's this is semantics, but like let's say for argument's sake, this wedding cost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? There's no way on earth that if I was the dad and I'm paying all this money. I'm going to spend my time moving cars or dealing with the swans or whatever. I'd be like, no, I'm paying all this money. You, the wedding coordinator, this is your problem. You solve it.
1: And again, I think it might have made more sense if he was shown, and this might be slightly disingenuous to say, but if he was shown throughout the whole movie to be a real control freak To the point where, like, in any of the other scenes, he could not let it go. Right. Like, like, you know, like, even though, like, it's like, all right, we've got this. Franck's doing this. We're doing that. Like, and he's like, no, 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 no. I need to do it. I need to do it. But that's not really who his character is. Like, he kind of rails against the stuff for comedic effect, but ultimately gives in. So the fact that, like, at this end, that he would be doing all these other things you know, I, I realized the bit about the cops and he doesn't want it to like ruin his daughter's wedding. But again, moving those four or five cars into his yard did not fix the two hundred right. cars out in the thing it, problem.
0: You it was know, still, you know, a hundred plus cars that were blocking the road. Yeah, like, and like know. even
1: the truth be told, like if those cops showed up, it wouldn't have even been him to go out and talk with them. It would have been Frank or his assistant right. going out. So like. It, again, I realize it's like we're questioning what happens in a movie world, and it doesn't always make sense to do so. But it just felt like too abrupt a departure for what this character is and what the story was doing. That I don't know. It just, it just, it just did not stick the landing for me. So yeah. I was a little bummed out um, about that at the end of the film. Again, overall, I, I, I would, I would say that this movie's a really nice movie and, and worth a watch if you can find it <laughs> again, it's a little hard to, to dig up surprisingly. Um, and maybe not my favorite ever Steve Martin movie, but again, for me, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to sound like, uh, alpha male. I'm just not somebody who's like way, way into this genre of film. There's been mm-hmm. some that have been um, very poignant and have, and have done, you know, I've really enjoyed over time. Um, and this is certainly among them, but um, I don't know. Just uh, I, I think overall it's, it's worth a watch. I, I, like I said, I'll probably be rewatching it again and, and bawling my eyes out when when I'm getting closer to my daughter's wedding days or something like that. But um, it is a it is yeah. a
0: very enjoyable film. The last ten minutes just kind of like you know, like you said, didn't stick the landing. It really kind of yeah just bummed me out in that regard. But you know, overall, it's a good movie. Like I like Steve Martin in this role because of the fact that like. He's not, you know, a total goofball idiot, but he's also has those moments, which is fun. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's also better Nancy Myers movies than this one. This is this is cute. I'm I'm really curious now to see Father of the Bride Part Two and see if they kind of fix the problems with this ending in that movie and give him more of a you know closure kind of a moment.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, we could check in in 1995 and see where it ends up. But <laughs> is, it that, is it that long till the next to the sequel? It is, yes. Wow, uh um, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, uh, December 1995. No kidding. Um, now I feel like I gotta look it up. <laughs> let me see. Uh, let me see where this lands here. December 1995. Oh, well, it's competing against Toy Story, so (laughs) I don't know how much we're going to be looking at this. It's competing against Toy Story and Jumanji and Heat and GoldenEye, so I don't know if Father (laughs) of the Bride Part 2 is going to be (laughs) in that zone for us. But um, regardless, um, what I would say is – I. I don't recall it nearly as well as the first one. I remember it has to do with the fact that she's having a baby, yes, um, and him coming to terms with being a, a grandparent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but that's majority what I remember. I do remember when I was younger liking it less than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, w- I would assume so. Yeah, I'm not sure what the general consensus is out there in in movie land. <laughs>
0: But, yeah, you know, overall, I, I enjoyed this movie. It was fun. Um, I was glad it was a pick. It was a good, you know, a good change of pace, I would say, for us and something different. Yeah, and- if
1: anything, I, I would say this is like a nice little palate cleanser to start the year yeah. out on. You know, like, uh, I you know, I think we had some, like, good movies coming up here that we're going to be looking at. I think we had some kind of not so good movies last year, particularly in some of the early months. I would say so there were a couple drag movies, but um, no, this was, this was like a nice, enjoyable movie. I ultimately recommend people if you have not seen it to, to give it a, a watch um, again, if you can find it, <laughs> check in um, on Hulu around father's day. It sounds like, Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think it's ultimately worth, worth checking out. So, uh, that's probably going to do it for us for our review of father of the bride. Feel free to let us know in our socials. If, uh, you love this movie, if you agree with us, if you think we're nuts, um, or, tell us about what you would have preferred to hear us talk about last boy scout, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Oh man, you
0: guys missed out on last boy scout. I'll tell you that much. You missed out. You, Oh, you're going to regret it, but okay. So moving forward to February of 1992, we've got Wayne's world, Wayne's world. And, uh, Party time. Excellent. <laughs> and we've got fried green tomatoes. The hand that rocks the cradle. I mean, well, do we want to go fried green tomatoes if it came out in December? I mean, do I want to have that in the list? I don't know. Like, that's the funny
1: thing, right? So when I know we normally do our poll, but like I said it last time and I'm going to repeat it again. I kind of can't see Wayne's World not making the top of the poll. So again, Wayne's World, fried green tomatoes, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and Medicine Man are our top four. Past that, I don't even know what some of these other ones are. Yeah. So I I feel like what we could do Oh, we do stop or your mom can shoot at uh, uh, number 12. (laughs) Oh, boy, that's a horrible
0: movie. That is a horrible movie. I
1: I feel like what we could do at this point is we could either just call it Wayne's World and skip our our featured film uh, poll again this next month because I feel like people are going to – given those four options, I feel like there's no way we're not getting Wayne's world or we could do one of those, like, um, you know, rescue a couple of movies from the last possible shot wild card sort of things. Again, you know, Wayne's world plus
0: last boy scout plus something, not JFK. (laughs) Again, I don't think Wayne's world would lose. So I would say, if if you're okay with it, because I have to do this month. <laughs> I'll take Wayne's World. I can I could live with that. That sounds
1: yeah, good. I, I would I would assume our listeners would be okay with us um doing Wayne's World. I actually imagine this is gonna be a slightly hard movie to review, only because like it's manic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little like, you know, yeah, manic's a good word. I was gonna say farcical at times. Um, you know, especially when it gets off it's it's very like it's like an episode of uh, Family Guy. It kind of drifts off into like weird little yeah. odd sequences and things, but I will watch Wayne's World anytime. So, yeah. uh yeah, I'm totally up for that. So, I don't know. So, I guess
0: viewers, sorry. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do our our poll this month. <laughs> but I will say March has some pretty good options.
1: All right, so we'll get we'll get back to the voting then in March, and we'll let yeah. everybody uh, uh, do the the voting
0: thing then and see what we get. I, I will be thrilled if anybody votes for Basic Instinct, and Pete has to re- write the notes for Basic Instinct.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm just putting that out in the universe.
1: The funny thing about Basic Instinct is, I think. It's memorable for the scene that everybody remembers it for. But overall, it's not even really that
0: good a movie. (laughs) It's very forgettable. It's not very good. But overall. Anywho. So this was Father of the Bride. I had a lot of fun watching it. I actually got my wife to watch a movie with me, which was kind of cool. So that was exciting. (laughs) Um, You know.
1: So like track record for Dory so far is this and like ninja turtles <laughs> did you anyway, watch
0: ninja turtles with you <laughs> no, no it wasn't that it was something else it was i think it was home alone <laughs> i think okay. it was home alone <laughs> yeah that's nice. that's about it that's all i got so um overall i i enjoyed it, it was fun you know I, i'm glad we got to talk about it and watch it it really did hit me in the feels other than the last 10 minutes and you know that's all i got what about all you right. where can where
1: can they find us all right, so you can find us box office three zero on Facebook and Twitter, and box office t h i r t y on Instagram. And like I said, um, it's a great place to reach out to us. Particularly over on Twitter, we seem to get a lot of conversations going over there. Uh, you can also um, become a fan of the Retro Network on their Patreon and join the Slack channel where all the creators from all the Retro Network shows chat and exchange ideas. And actually, there's quite a lot of um, opportunity for uh, listeners to uh, get in on podcasts and things over there or or some of the ideas for them, things like that. So I do recommend popping over and checking out all the other shows and uh, articles and wonderful stuff that's on the Retro Network while you're at it.
0: Sounds great i love it and go to our t public store and get some hoodies or masks or whatever you feel comfortable with Um, we have one of those Wizbite things as well boxoffice
1: 30.com i still need to do something with it it's kind of uh it's kind of lame and stock as is i need to make a nicer site for it in all my free time
0: and, (laughs) and i'm working on doing some sort of stickers or something like that i'd love to be able to mail some stuff to you guys and you know Anything you could do to support our show, we would love it because, you know, we love to hear from you guys and we want, to, we want to know what you think and how we can improve or try new things. But, you know, until next time, we'll see you in the cinemas, maybe. I'm <laughs> okay. I don't know. Bye, right, friends. Bye, everybody.
2: You're
0: not
2: worthy. Woo! <laughs> Swing!